Uh, but we're going to be reading from both those uh, sections. Since there is a little bit of extra following along this morning, I do want to encourage you to have a Bible. If you don't have one, we've got some extras on that small little table there at the back. So please grab one so you can follow along with us this morning. Um, and we're going to read from a couple of those different sections together as we set the tone for our brand new study here in the book of Proverbs. So hopefully you've closely made your way there. So what we're going to do is we're going to read first from Proverbs chapter 1, and then we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 3. Before we do that, I'm going to pray, ask for God's blessing on our time together this morning, and then we'll stand and we'll read that together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the privilege again to be here today uh, to worship you through um, fellowshipping together, to communing together. And part of that now is to uh, sit under the instruction of your word together. And so we pray for your favor on our time. Um, Lord, in many ways, our prayer this morning is uh, reflective of what we're going to look at in our passage. And that is that you would give us a heart of wisdom uh, to be able to properly uh, understand, not just to hear the words that we're going to listen to, but to know how to rightly process them and to put them into action. And we do that, Lord, not for our own sake, not for our own personal benefit, though we know that it brings benefit to our lives. We ask this so that your name would be glorified through our lives as a expression of our worship to you. So please give us that wisdom today. We would ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's stand and we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 1. And I'm literally just going to read the first verse. And then I'm going to jump us over to 1 Kings chapter 3, where we'll pick up in verse 3. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, we read simply this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 begins, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went up to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none shall arise after you. 
I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. You may be seated. That's where we're going to stop for now. We'll pick up as we kind of go along here in this story. But, you know, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite modern day actors, I guess he's not really modern day anymore because he's been around for a while, is Tom Hanks. Anybody a Tom Hanks fan around here? So you're like, oh, he's old. But, you know, Tom Hanks has probably played uh, almost some of the most iconic roles in acting history, right? So if you're not familiar with Tom Hanks and some of his glorious roles, think for just a moment of all the great roles that Tom Hanks has played over the year, right? Most of you know him as the beloved voice behind Woody from the Toy Story movies, right? Uh, For those of you who were not around in the early 90s, there was a great movie called Forrest Gump that has become one of the most iconic movies in cinematic history. Or in the early 2000s where basically Tom Hanks was in a movie almost by himself called Castaway, almost three hours of him acting by himself on a deserted island, which is actually a fantastic movie, uh, despite how I just portrayed it. But perhaps one of my favorite roles that Tom Hanks played, and probably the movie that maybe put him on the map more than any other was the classic in the 80s, the movie Big. Have any of you ever seen the movie Big before? Okay, just a few of you. So the whole premise of the movie is this teenage boy uh, who is wrestling with all the challenges of being a young teenage boy. And so his one wish is that he would be big, that he would grow up, that he would just become an adult. And by providence, he comes to this wishing machine that grants him that request and he goes to sleep that night and he wakes up the next morning in his parents house as a full-grown adult it's a classic movie because as you can imagine he still has the mannerisms of a teenage boy but in a adult body it's a classic one that uh is worth your watch at some point in time don't have high expectations for all the action that you see in today's movies but uh classic comedy movie but I share all this because wish-giving is at the center of a lot of plot lines, right? A lot of uh, the most classic movies in history kind of center on this very idea of wish-granting, whether it be It's a Wonderful Life, right? The movie Home Alone, where Kevin McAllister wishes that his family would go away, which actually happens. Or if you're lucky, you get three wishes like Aladdin does in his movie. But we all know that all these stories, while entertaining, are still at the very heart. They're they're fantasy. They're not real. But this is not just the stuff of Hollywood. In fact, it's actually the stuff of the Bible. And it's not fantasy. It's actually factual. Uh, Far from fantasy we come in this story in first kings chapter three this story we just read of god appearing to solomon in a dream solomon is the new king of israel uh his father was uh kind of a big deal this guy named david if you've heard of him uh giant killer king of israel kind of a a big deal 
And Solomon has inherited the kingship from his father, David. And God appears to him in a dream one night and he asks him, hey, Solomon, what do you wish for? If you were to be given anything, what would you want? And Solomon's request is very interesting and far different than I think most of us would ask for. What does Solomon ask for? He asks for a mind of understanding so that he is able to faithfully govern the people of God so that God's name would be glorified. Doesn't ask for riches, doesn't ask for fame, doesn't ask for popularity, all the things that most of us, if we were given one wish, would ask for. Instead, he asks for wisdom. And one of the results of that wish is the book that we are now going to study in the coming months, the book of Proverbs, a collection of many of Solomon's uh, finest works of wisdom that God gave to him for our benefits. Now, naturally, you may be asking yourself this morning, of all the books in the Bible, why this one? Because there's a lot of books in the Bible that we could study together. So why in the world are we giving our time the next few months to the book of Proverbs? And that's exactly the point I want to prove for you this morning as we go into the book of Proverbs, because I want to convince you this morning that Proverbs is actually an essential book for all youth to study. Proverbs is an essential book for all youth to study. Now, that's kind of a big claim to say that it's an essential book. I mean, have you ever been told to pack the essentials for a trip or to grab the essentials from the grocery store? Or we came out of a season of life where we were told that certain people were considered essential personnel. Describe stuff that is considered the most necessary or the most needed it's foundational for the purposes that are set before you. And now, most of you are probably wondering, well, isn't the whole Bible essential? I mean, after all, God gave us the whole Bible, didn't he? And I would say absolutely. And yet, there are still different sections with particular focuses that merit greater weight for us. I mean, after all, we could say the same is true about the essential parts of a car, right? Uh, we have an engine. You have a gas tank, you have wheels, you have axles. All those things are essential, but naturally certain parts are given greater focus or attention than others, even though all are just as essential. So notice our big idea is focused on why Proverbs is essential for youth to study. And that's not to say that it's irrelevant for people who are older or uh, that it's more important than other parts of the Bible but simply that it has a particular bent towards youth in this season of your life that I think it's essential for you. And so today I want to give you seven reasons for why we are studying the book of Proverbs. So basically seven reasons to convince you why this statement is true. So let's jump into those together this morning. You have your note sheets. I would encourage you to follow along with those as we go here. So first of all, first reason we're studying the book of Proverbs is because Proverbs are often misunderstood. Proverbs are often misunderstood, and I mean that in the general sense of what a proverb is. So the book of Proverbs is a collection of proverbs, and that's kind of confusing, I understand, but we're going to talk through what we mean by that here this morning. So what exactly are these things called proverbs that make up this collection that we see in this book of the Bible? Well, first of all, what they are. What proverbs are are condensed 
truths that pack a punch. Uh, I've read all kinds of commentaries and books over the last week as to what uh, a proverb is, and there's all kinds of different ways, and there's all kinds of different types of proverbs, but at the most uh, essential nature of what a proverb is this morning for your sake is that it is a, a moral truth that is boiled down to its most compact and most powerful form. Okay? So it's boiled down to the most condensed way that you can say it in the most powerful way. So think of it this way. So anybody know, anybody know what this is? Anybody ever had one of these before? Something called emergency. Anybody ever had an emergency around here? Raise your hand. Look at that. Oh, wait, Justin, do you just hold one up? Oh, look at that. Justin, Justin is packing this morning. I love it. Um, so this is interesting. And actually, this, this idea came from Justin here. But have you, how, how are you supposed to consume emergency most of the times? What do you do with this? Yeah. You add it to water. Yeah, you add it to water, right? I think it says, you know, you can do four to six ounces of water. If you like it a little weaker, you can do, you know, eight to ten ounces. If you want it a little bit stronger, you can go a little bit less than that. Um, but here's the deal. Could you just consume this? You can. And guess what? It's going to pack a pretty powerful punch to it. The first person who ever gave me that idea was, in fact, Justin Delagrange back there. So I love the fact that he actually brought his here this morning. We didn't even coordinate that this morning. Um, tell you what. Congratulations on winning the trivia. You can have some emergency. If you want to try it out this morning, let us know how it goes. You can. But the idea here is that, obviously, if you were to add that to water, and it gives it a little bit more substance, uh, it's still emergency. It still does exactly what it's supposed to do. But if you were to just consume it like that, it's not going to be hurtful to you. In fact, it's going to deliver the most compact and powerful punch of flavor uh, for its exact purpose. That's exactly what the book of Proverbs is. It's the most condensed form uh, that's packing the most punch. Of course, more could be said on a subject. And you could say, well, yeah, but aren't there exceptions to what the statement just said? And the, absolutely, more could be said. But sometimes it can be more powerful to say less than more, right? Uh, just ask the people who were there at Gettysburg uh, after uh, the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863, uh, and they were commemorating that day. Did you guys know that before Abraham Lincoln spoke, a guy spoke for two hours before Lincoln, a guy named Edward Everett? He gave like this two hour long address and then the president gets up and they expect him to give this like long drawn out speech. And you know, he speaks for like two minutes. But guess what? What, what speech do most of you memorize probably at some point in human history? The speech that Lincoln gives in just two minutes, one of the most famous speeches in all of human history. Sometimes saying less is more. It delivers more of a punch. And so these Proverbs here, they're not universal promises. They're general principles of life that pack the most punch. Now, what do they do? Well, this is kind of a misconception or this is something that's misunderstood. They show you how to live life God's way. They show you how to live life God's way. Some of the misunderstandings about Proverbs are the fact that uh, people think, well, they're just a general moral book, right, for anyone. Anybody who could just, like, you know, they can look at the principles and say, well, yeah, this is just how to live a good, successful life. Uh, but to do that takes away all the God language that we see in the book. God is very central to this book. It's not a book that's absent God. 
And so for some people, they even think, well, so what this is, is this is what makes you a follower of God. If I do these things, then that shows that I, uh, I, I'm, I'm giving myself into a relationship with God. But that completely turns the Bible on its head because the Bible says we don't earn God's favor. We don't try to be good enough for God. Rather, what we do is in response to God. It's about our relationship to him. In fact, the theme throughout Proverbs in many ways is what it looks like to live in the fear of the Lord. And that fear of the Lord language, as we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead, describes relationship. It describes the overflow of your life with God. Because obedience is a response to an existing relationship. As such, Proverbs is a book about how you worship God with your life. That's what Proverbs is all about, and we're going to unpack that in the coming weeks. So, why should we study Proverbs? Well, because Proverbs, we want to clear up some misconceptions about what they are and what they do. Uh, secondly, we need wisdom in today's culture of moral decline, or as I like to summarize that, as folly. We live in a world of folly. Uh, folly is just a condensed way of saying foolishness. And the battle at the heart of the book of Proverbs is the battle between wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom and folly. And we live in a culture today, student, of moral decline, which is another way of saying foolishness. Um, Psalms 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And if you were to look around at the world that we live in right now, we live in a world of foolishness that acts as if God does not exist. We see that in the way that sexuality is kind of being transformed and made into something very different. We see it in the way that people are more naturally rebellious towards people in authority, whether it be parents or government or you name it. We see it reflected in the way that we interact with people in our speech and our words or the way that we act and work towards one another. It is a world right now of moral decline, and God's answer in the book of Proverbs is... Wisdom. Wisdom is how you combat foolishness. So the question is, what is wisdom then? If wisdom is so central and so important, what is wisdom? Let's do this. I'm going to give you one minute. If you have pen and paper, write it out. If you don't have pen and paper, uh, use your phone or whatever you have. If you don't have any of that, just in your mind, take one minute, write down to your best ability what is wisdom. Ready? Go. One minute. What is wisdom? seconds obviously putting you on the spot with this here today you weren't thinking this so that's all right all right so let's think about this for a moment how many of you your definition of wisdom included the word smart okay just by a show of hands you don't have to tell me your actual definition but uh by a show of hands had some idea of smart to it okay 
What about thinking? Processing. Decisions. God? Okay. Ah, I got a few there. Uh, what were some other words that stood out in your definition of wisdom? Just shout them out. Knowledge. knowledge. Okay. How many of you had knowledge? Okay. Awesome. What about understanding? Okay. What else? Other words? Why? Why? Wise? You can't use the word wise in wisdom. <laughs> what does it be? What is wisdom to be wise? I love it. Yeah. What's that? Maturity. I like that word. What else? I heard another one. What? True. Excellent. So this is, this is good. So all these things are important for it because, I mean, as I studied this week, there's a lot of definitions and there's a lot of ideas about wisdom. And here's the deal. You live in a world right now of limitless information. You have a lot of information at your disposal, even at your thumbs right now by looking things up. And yet you live in a world that naturally lacks wisdom because so often we associate wisdom with just knowledge of information. We associate it with being smart. And in some ways, it's kind of the difference of you've heard people talk about someone being book smart versus street smart. You know the difference there, right? To be book smart means that you, you know a lot of information. Maybe you're really smart in school. You, you can get the grades. You get, you get what is being said. But when it comes to implementing life, you kind of lack some certain skills. But then there's the opposite where you're just really skillful in life. But when it comes to like academia and information, you're just really not good. Well, Proverbs is kind of both of those things, but with God as the central focus. Uh, the most basic definition in the Bible of wisdom is actually the word skill. How many of you had the word skill in your definition? That's okay. My final definition doesn't have skill either, but that's okay. Um, but Bruce Waltke, who's one of the more famous uh, commentators on the book of Proverbs, uh, describes wisdom as information that affects the heart and directs behavior. That's why it says you could memorize the entire book of Proverbs, but not be wise, right? Because you could have it all up in your head, but if it doesn't affect your heart, then it's not really wisdom. Anthony Savaggio says that uh, wisdom is the ability to make good decisions based on knowledge and then act on those decisions. Gotquestions.org talk, talks about wisdom as striving to see life from God's perspective and acting accordingly. And all those definitions have a lot of similarities and some differences to them. John Piper talks about wisdom having three main components, knowledge, insight, and resolve. And resolve means uh, action. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come up with a definition of wisdom based on everything that we've talked about. And this is something we're going to memorize together. and We're going to come back to time and time again. So let's break it down for you. This is the definition of wisdom as I see it best played out in the book of Proverbs. Okay. Wisdom is worshiping God. By rightly applying his truth to real life situations. Wisdom is worshiping God by rightly applying his truth to real life situations. So again, Piper talked about those three things of uh, knowledge, insight, and resolve. Where do we see knowledge in this definition? His truth, right? It's not just any truth, it's God's truth. If we're going to act out biblical wisdom, it's based on knowledge of God's truth. But not just knowledge of what it says, there's insight, right? And insight has to do with how does this truth relate to my current situation I'm in? 
whether it be my work environment, whether it be my relationships with my friends or with the opposite sex or maybe with how I'm responding to somebody in this situation, right? So not just knowledge, but how does that relate to my situation? And then not just how it relates to my situation, but where do I act? Or in other words, how do I rightly apply what God has provided to me in this situation? But notice all of this, none of the definitions I talked about really had much of this part in it. Worshiping God. Because remember, this is about the overflow of our relationship with God. Right? This is not how we earn favor with God. It's out of the abundance of our gratitude to God that we worship God. Obedience is an expression of worship. And so this is how we worship God, by rightly applying his truth to realized situations. So we're going to come back to this definition more and more in our study. So, we need wisdom in our cultural moral decline. Our third reason we're studying Proverbs is because of the unique person who wrote it. The unique person who wrote it. You met him in Proverbs 1.1. Guy by the name of Solomon, son of David. Kind of a big deal. Uh, he is one of the most unique and controversial, controversial figures in all of the Bible. Uh, he's hard to really figure out because he starts so well. We read about it in 1 Kings 3, right? He's given the opportunity, ask for anything you want. Most of us, we would ask for uh, riches or power or you name it. He asks for wisdom. He asks for God to make him wise so that he can be a good king of God's people. That's impressive. That's impressive. In fact, if you were to read on in verses 16 to 28, you see that wisdom played out. The very first demonstration of that wisdom is a situation where two women come to Solomon with a conundrum. Uh, both of these women, it says in verse 16, uh, then uh, chapter 3, then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman... Uh, and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. Okay, so we got these two ladies, both have babies, and we find out that in the night, uh, one of the ladies uh, is sleeping, nursing her baby, and rolls over on her baby, and the baby dies. They're like, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. What does she end up doing? She switches her baby with the other lady's baby in the middle of the night. And yeah, it's a crazy situation. You should read it all the way down to verse 28. Basically, they come in and the one lady is like, this, is, this dead baby is not my baby. This, the lady took my baby. And Solomon is faced with a conundrum. He doesn't know these ladies. He doesn't know this. And some of you are still hung up on the fact that he's like, well, didn't they say they're prostitutes? Don't get hung up on that, okay? Like, let's stay focused on the situation, right? This is a real conundrum. And Solomon, in his wisdom, and this doesn't sound like wisdom to most of you, he's like, okay, fine. Let's, let's just settle this. Somebody go get me a sword. We'll just cut this living baby in half, and each of you can half of it, have half of baby, and we're all happy here. You're like, Pastor Scott, this, is, this does not sound like wisdom. This sounds like Jerry Springer uh, TV drama. And you're absolutely right, it does. But why does Solomon do that? Because Solomon knows something very important here. Would the mom of the baby who actually lives want that baby to die? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, the mom of the, the, the dead child says, great, yeah, let's divide this child up. Then, we, yeah, that's the most fair thing. But the mom of the living baby says, absolutely not. This lady can have my child. Do not let harm come to this child. And that 
at that point reveals who the real mother was. Because Solomon understands the real mom would never want harm to come to her child. And people were amazed at this. They're like, never have we seen anything like this. And Solomon's wisdom begins to just play out in his life, the way he governs uh, the kingdom. In fact, by the time you get to 1 Kings chapter 10, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 10, you see uh, the nation of Israel becomes this powerful nation in the world. Uh, the queen of Sheba, this, this great power comes and sees everything, this wealth, this, this knowledge, how these people respond to Solomon and his wisdom. And she says, never before have I seen anything like this. And she gives, gifts Solomon with all these extra power, all this extra riches. God is being gracious to grant and bless Israel like never in their history uh, had they experienced up to this point. In fact, I would say this is the most powerful of the book, uh, sorry, this is the most powerful the nation of Israel ever gets in all of the Bible up to this point in human history. This is the climax right here. In many ways, they were acting the way that God called them to be, which was a light to the nations for people to come and see the way that God blesses his people. It's a miraculous time in their history. And yet, by chapter 11, guess what? starts to fall apart. These good things do not last. In verse 1 of chapter 11, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Uh Uh-oh. Boy-girl drama, right? It's always boy-girl drama that ruins things. No girls. Oh, girl drama, yeah. (laughs) Careful how quickly you speak up on it. (laughs) And if you were to read down here through verse 6, you're going to see that it's not just one lady. It's a thousand ladies that lead Solomon astray. Uh, It says here that Solomon had, in verse 3, 700 wives. I don't even know if I know 700 ladies, let alone know all their names. I don't even know how it's possible to be married to 700 women. Uh, And he had also 300 concubines. Our little kid's Bible at home says these are basically girlfriends. That's a very uh, generous, uh, nice, cleaned up way of saying what these ladies were. Uh, But basically, yeah, Solomon has gone down the deep end. And you're left wondering, how does a guy who was so wise still end up so foolish? I think it's one of the most important lessons that we learn about wisdom is about how wisdom still needs to persist throughout life. And in many ways, Solomon, both at the beginning of his time of wisdom and end of his time of wisdom, comes to the same conclusion, but he sometimes has to venture through the deep end and the hard stuff before he gets there. In fact, if we were to look at the way he starts out in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where he talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools are the ones who despise wisdom and instruction. And in Ecclesiastes 12, 3, uh, 13, which people believe is the last book that he wrote, and really at the end of his life, the very, one of the very last lines of the book that he writes in Ecclesiastes, he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Uh, this is Solomon's way of writing, I think, as a father, saying, Don't make the same mistakes I did. Learn these lessons now to save yourself all the pain and the heartache that you might go through. And so Solomon is a very flawed individual. He is one of the most unique people in all the Bible because of the journey that he goes on. 
But I think that there's a really a lot of valuable stuff that we will learn from him. And we're going to wrestle with those challenges of pursuing wisdom throughout the book. And we see how God uses still imperfect people to accomplish his goals. So we're studying this because of the unique person who wrote it. But also, I think what's interesting is that Proverbs is actually specifically written to you. Did you know that? It's specifically written to you, to teenagers. How do I know that? Well, 19 times, specifically in the first nine chapters, we hear the author address the audience as my son, my son, my child. You know, there's something special about a tender and loving word of instruction that comes from the pen of a parent to their child. You know, one of my favorite bookmarks that I use uh, for the books that I'm reading in my office is this simple little postcard here, uh, this little card that I got in the mail. But this card I got uh, while I was in seminary. When I lived in California, I was far removed from my family. And it was actually a card that my dad wrote. My dad doesn't really, he's not always the most of sentimental of people. He doesn't write a whole lot. Um, and I'm not going to read all the stuff that he wrote in it, but it was one of the most profound and encouraging notes that I've ever received in my life. And there was something about it that was so special that I said, I'm going to hold on to this because this is an heirloom that is unique because it reminds me of the tender nature of a father speaking wisdom and instruction to the heart of a child. And I think most of us can understand that or relate to that or desire that, whatever it may be for you in your life. But such is the backdrop I want you to keep in mind when we come to the study of Proverbs, right? This is essentially a collection, these first nine chapters, of letters by a father to his child instructing him in the way of wisdom. It says, I love you enough that I want you to know how to respond to the world that you're entering out into. The youth of this letter would describe a child no older than 15 to 20 years of age, seen as somebody who was maybe unmarried and thus also immature, saying, you got a lot of growing up to do? Here's a great place to start. And as such, the early part of this book paints the picture of God the Father talking to young believers who need to grow in spiritual maturity and naturally lack wisdom. And so that's why it's perfect for us. That's why it's perfect for us to study but fifth, wisdom eventually shows where you stand with the Lord. Your lifestyle reflects who or what you fear. Proverbs 1.7 makes it very clear the difference between the wise and the foolish man is the fear of the Lord. That is a, a constant contrast in this book. The way of wisdom and the way of the fool. And that's a principle that's carried out throughout the Bible. Jesus used that in Matthew 7, verses 24 and 27. Do you remember it? He contrasts the wise and the foolish builder, right? The wise man builds his house upon the rock of God's word. The foolish man builds it upon the sand. Paul picks up on that language in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he says, the person who doesn't know God is foolish in their understanding because they lack the spirit of God. But if somebody has the spirit of God, God gives to them wisdom and insight that they didn't understand before. So over time, wisdom reflects your relationship with God. Again, wisdom is not the basis for your relationship with God, but it does show and give evidence to where you stand with God. 
not to earn favor, but in response to what he has done in your life. But it's not just about how you stand, it's about how you walk. In fact, the rest of the Bible really picks up on that language that we are to walk in wisdom. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be what? Foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Since wisdom is something we are called to walk in, we are expected to grow in it and be a people who are marked by it. These last two points will go quickly. Six, God is gracious to give wisdom to those who ask for it. We saw that to be true with Solomon, right? Solomon knew that he lacked wisdom and he asked for it. And he believed that God was able to grant it to him. And this is a point that Paul picks up on in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, uh, Paul, or not Paul, James, James, that's who wrote it. James says this. <laughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Notice it's not just, hey, if you ask for it, he will give it to you. You have to believe. You have to trust. You have to believe that God will grant this to you from the sincerity of your heart. All of us naturally lack wisdom. The question is whether or not we recognize that because that is the first place to start with humility. In fact, uh, most of you, a lot of you have been to a Ascend Camp. You are familiar with one of our speakers at Ascend Camp, uh, Pastor Rick Holland. Pastor Rick Holland did a great series on the book of Proverbs many, many years ago. And one of the favorite questions he re- reiterates time and time again, and I'm going to use it as well because I love it so much, is this question. Are you wise enough to know you're not wise enough. Are you wise enough to realize you are not wise enough? If so, be quick to ask for it. Be humble enough and be quick enough to ask for it. And then our final reason why we're staying in the book of Proverbs is because Proverbs points us to Jesus. Proverbs points us to Jesus. In some ways, this can feel like a far cry from where we've been in Mark's Gospels, this focus on Jesus and and his ministry. But it would not be fair to say that Proverbs is anti-Jesus. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 3 that Jesus, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, Jesus' perfect implementation and wisdom secured our salvation. Jesus is what we could say the personification of wisdom. Just a, a, a big word to say that in Jesus we see the perfect demonstration of wisdom. Many of you weren't around, obviously, in the 90s, but there was a really popular jewelry trend back then where you had these bracelets with uh, four initials on them. Do you know what those initials were? Yeah. Do they still have them? I don't know if they still do. WWJD. Anybody ever heard that before? It was popularizing the phrase, what would Jesus do? And as cheesy and as cliche as that sounds, there's actually a lot of uh, profound nature to that. What would Jesus do? And Pastor Rick, in his study of Proverbs, talks about even that applying to Jesus. says, well, what would Jesus do? Jesus would probably do the book of Proverbs. He would probably implement what God sets forth in the book of Proverbs. 
And so, in many ways, what we see in the book of Proverbs is meant to point us towards the perfect wisdom and obedience that we see in Jesus Christ. And so, as we go throughout this series, I'm going to try to connect that. I'm going to try to demonstrate that for you. Not trying to put Jesus into the book of Proverbs, but bringing Proverbs to life in the life and ministry of Jesus. So, all things, things together make, <clears throat> give us good reason to believe that Proverbs is an essential book for all youth to study. But if you're paying attention closely, it's not really just a book for youth. It's a book for all of us, for any person, young or old, who is a child of God. I didn't pick this just because I'm like, oh, man, you guys need to really grow up in your maturity. Really, in many ways, I picked it because I need to still do that as well. And so we're going to do that together as we study over the next couple of months. God desires for us all to grow in wisdom and maturity. So that's where we're going in the coming months. But you're like, well, Proverbs is a big book. How are we going to do that? Well, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, we're not going to tackle the entire book. Okay, it's a big book. We're mainly going to do chapters 1 through 9 because chapters 1 through 9 kind of reads, as I said before, as a collection of letters. And so we're going to really just primarily work through those nine chapters. But after that, we're going to tackle a couple of key topics in the book of Proverbs. Things like relationships, speech, work, uh, things that are really helpful for you in this season of life. And then we're going to wrap it up at the very end by considering chapter 31 that really talks about what biblical manhood and biblical womanhood looks like. Um, and I'm excited to do that. I think it will give you a real comprehensive look at the book of Proverbs for the next couple of months. So here's my challenge to you today. Here's what I would love for you to do in the coming, uh, coming weeks. My challenge to you is this, that definition that you wrote down or hopefully you wrote down of wisdom, if you need me to put it back up there, I can do so real quick. That definition we talked about of what wisdom is, memorize that. Memorize that. We're going to come back to it time and time again. I would love for you to be able to just spit it off the top whenever I ask you, what is wisdom? Oh, well, wisdom is rightly applying uh, God's truth to real life situations, right? If you were able to do that, man, that would be awesome. So memorize that. We'll keep talking about it. And then for the month of May, I'm going to challenge you to do one more thing. How many days are there in the month of May? What's that? 31. How many chapters are there in the book of Proverbs? It's 31. So for the month of May, starting tomorrow, read one chapter of Proverbs a day. Read one chapter, and guess what? By the time we get to the end of the month, you've read the entire book. So tomorrow, May 1st, read Proverbs 1. Tuesday, May 2nd, read Proverbs 2, so on and so forth. I think you will be blessed by it. We'll continue to talk about it as we go along. But for today, that's sufficient for our time, so let me pray. And get you on your way. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for these students and their attention. Uh, pray that this has been helpful for them as we've laid the groundwork and the foundation for the weeks ahead. So we pray now that, Lord, you would genuinely uh, grant wisdom to this group of, uh, of teenagers. They, they so desperately need it. Lord, I still need it, even as, as an adult. Uh, there's so much maturity and wisdom that I lack, and so I desire, Lord, to be more faithful to worship you with my life. And so I pray that that would be the true, earnest, humble desire of this group this morning as we enter into this study together. We pray that you would bless it for the glory of your name. Amen.